Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Seamus. Praying about today, and I was coming off of I was in the I was on the plane on the way home, and um, talking to the Lord about what to share, and and um, I felt like the Lord was wanting me to just talk to you about what I'm processing, and kind of what I'm uh, what what's kind of stirring inside of me, and so it's not like um, nothing is ever polished. You know what I'm saying there? But it's something that I'm, I'm kind of working through, and I just want to let you in on it. Is that okay? And so, um, so in, there, might be, there might be one topic, might be two topics. I have three or four. I, I don't think I'm going to have time um, to hit all th- you know, four or five of those things, but I do think, I know I have time for the first one. And, uh, and so we'll see how that, see, we'll see where we go. So I'll just go ahead and begin to share with you guys. And then um, we'll see where the plane where the plane lands at the end. Cool. All right. So what I want you to do is take your Bibles. I still like paper, um, but I know that more and more go digital. And so uh, turn to, to the Book of Matthew, chapter six, and I want to I want to hit verses nine through thirteen, and um, and then. And just kind of, kind of free freewheel it. Is that is that an old term, freewheeling? So uh, just kind of go for it. See where it see where it all lands. And you can also um, uh, put your finger in First uh, Peter chapter three, and then we want to look at verses nine through eleven. So Matthew chapter six, and we want to look at verses nine through thirteen. 1 Peter chapter 3, 9 through 17. So it was, a, it was quite a long time ago, probably four or five months. Um, I guess that's, sometimes that might be a long time, but four or five months ago, six months ago, I started, you know, we've been, we've been actually talking about Ecclesia now for three years. You believe that? And uh, because I have this app called Time Hop. Does anyone have Time Hop on their phones? This is Wendy's favorite app. My family's favorite app is TimeHop. And so it kind of, you know, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, you can just go through your pictures and it kind of automatically sorts them out as you're going through, which is kind of cool, isn't it? And so um, I was looking through TimeHop and I was at the three-year mark and, and there, was a, there, was a, uh, there was a sermon series that I was starting called Ecclesia Rising. And it had a mountain, and it had, a, I don't know if you guys remember that, been here that long. And I, and I was thinking about, no way did I start this series in 2015. There's no way. But pictures don't tend to lie, those kind, right? They're not doctored or anything like that. So, yeah, truly, it's been a three-year journey, and it seems like the Lord is opening up more and more uh, I don't know, so many people are jumping on board with what God's saying. I think that's what, one of the things that the Holy Spirit is releasing on the earth is bringing, uh, bringing his kids into a place of understanding who they are. 
and to function from that place. And so, um, so I'm, still, I'm still working through that because sometimes revelation comes to you instantly and takes you a long time to process and the Lord continues to unravel more and more revelation. And so, uh, how many of you guys enjoyed Dean Briggs when he was here a couple weeks ago? Wasn't that great? Some really solid teaching uh, on Ecclesia and the Bride. And so, here's, the, here's one of the things that I, um, that I was thinking about and just re- reminding myself, because one of the beauties for me about vacation is that I have a chance to kind of sort through all the prophetic words. I can kind of just kind of pull back just a little bit and ask the Lord, what's he saying? What has he said? Where, where are we going? Those kinds of things. And um, I was looking through some of the things I wrote down on my journal. And I, now I just do it electronically. Back then it was on a moleskin. Um, moleskin, you guys know what I'm talking about, moleskin, right? And so um, it's like a little, bind, little journal. And so um, I just want to make sure we clarify that. It's not some kind of anything else. And... There was three things that the Lord just kind of brought to me. Number one, uh, when we talk about, about God's people, is that we want to be a bride who loves. We want to be an ecclesia who rules. And we want to be sons who serve. We want to be a bride who loves. It's the great call to intimacy with God. It's the great call of the, the bridal paradigm. It's the great call of experiencing the emotions of God as it's to call to enjoy the Lord. And it's, it's troubling me lately, um, seeing and hearing about so many uh, suicides. Uh, it's troubling me hearing about so many believers who are taking their lives uh, prematurely. And we're missing something if believers are contemplating taking their life, like seriously contemplating taking their life. And um, I know that we're, we're bombarded with a lot of things in life. There are things that come our way. But another thing I've been thinking about comes out of Romans chapter 5, verse 17, which talks about that we will reign in this life through the one Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to reign in life? Now the word reign means to the word reign means to um, to rule as a king. So when the promise is in Romans five seventeen that we're called, we're not called. We're 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 not even encouraged. It's stronger than that. We're commissioned. Maybe is a better word. We're commissioned to reign in this life. That's part of our identity. Is reigning in this life. And one of the things I think that in the Western, the Western gospel, if I can use that phrase, is that we've omitted suffering. And suffering is a core value to much of the gospel around the world, but it's not so much a core value to the gospel in the States. And I want to encourage you that in life, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in life, you will, you will suffer. There are things we will suffer. But remember that the goal of the believer is not heaven. The goal of the believer is the image of Jesus. Because it says to be conformed, we're being conformed into his image and likeness. 
So the goal for the believer is to look more like Jesus at the end of our life. We want to, so the question would be, did Jesus suffer? And the answer is yes. The question would be, did the apostles suffer? The answer is yes. All of them, Peter was hung upside, uh, crucified upside down. Uh, he wasn't worthy of it, so he, they inverted the cross and they crucified Peter. Paul was sawn, uh, cut in two, the great apostle Paul. And so, so we've, in, some, in a lot of ways, we've omitted uh, suffering, and God can use suffering to actually um, con- um, conform us more into his image and likeness. The only way that you're going to get impurities out of gold is to heat it. And when you put the fire underneath the gold, the impurities rise to the top. And so how they used to get the impurities out is to actually put it in fire. Oh, uh, you guys all right? I don't like it either. <laughs> I, never like, I never like fire. I never like hurt. I never like pain. I never like suffering. I don't like it. I don't like it. But I think it's an ingredient that the Lord uses because uh, usually out of our own suffering is our greatest area of ministry. If we, if we can manage the suffering or if we can manage those things in our life that come in, those are actually platforms that the Lord will use for ministry. And so we don't know that. We just want to escape. And I'm the first one to tell you, I'm in the prayer closet talking to Jesus about like, you know, take this out of me. It's like, take this away. Get it away, you know. And for some reason, the Lord doesn't do that. And he, and I actually walk through that. And remember, I mean, these are things I, I've shared before. These, these are core values of mine. Is that I, I look to squeeze every nutrient out of every problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's something for me in the problem. There's something for me in the situation. And though it might be painful, there is something there that if I handle it properly, the Lord will deposit in my life. I'm not going to handle it perfectly because we're human. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to say things we shouldn't have said. We're going to, you know, but if we can get back to the place where we talk to Jesus, he's gracious and he grows us up into his image and likeness. And I think that that's a core ingredient to reigning in life is that how are we going to manage the problems that come into our life? So think of a problem as an opportunity. Are you guys all right? So think of it as an opportunity. Think of it as, a, as, a, as if, if we move through the problem, there's a graduation. If we move through it correctly, there's a graduation. It could be even more empathy for someone who's in the same place. It's when we talk to people, it's someone in the same place. So the Lord uses this thing, and, and when we talk about Romans 5.17, we're talking about this whole idea of reigning in life, and what does that actually mean? Like, what is that? I know Andrew talked about anxiety. Like, 
last week, or worry, or what does that mean? What does that, what does reigning in life mean? Where do we reign in life? What do we, what does that mean in terms of reigning in life? Like, how do we process that? What is our life supposed to look like if we're called to be the ecclesia of God and we're called to reign in life? So my first thought about reigning in life would be, my, my first natural thought about reigning in life is problem-free and suffering-free. We equate that, that phrase, reigning in life, with the, sometimes what we do is we equate um, a, uh, if we have more problems or something, there's something, there's something wrong with my Christian life, uh, and we have less problems, there's something good about my Christian life. And I don't think that's part of the equation. So though I don't invite it, I trust the Holy Spirit in me, and when things come to me, they come to me for a reason. It's how I manage it. And in the management, I have choices. Everybody has a choice. Oh, you guys all right? So if we're going to mature in our walk with the Lord... And I'll just say this, too, before I move on to that. Um, there's there's going to be seasons where the Lord will take us through things. There'll be, let's just say it's a valley for the sake of a picture. Psalm 23 talks about the Lord taking us into, the, into a valley, but he, he, doesn't, he, he does say in the Scripture, he says, I'm taking you through it. So how will you manage it when you're in the valley? Because the promise is he'll take you through the valley. So in other words, there's going to be another side of the valley that you're going through. The important key here is that the Lord says, I will set up a banqueting table in the presence of your enemy in the middle of it, in the middle of this valley. What does that tell me? That tells me there's a place in God. First of all, God shows up in the valley. God wants to commune with me in the valley. And that God will take me through a valley. Not to destroy me, to build me. So, it is good news. <laughs> I, I knew I wouldn't get anything. It's good news in the sense of it, there's an opportunity when we step into or God takes us into something. There's an opportunity there. How will we manage it? How do I become more like Jesus through it? But you don't know how painful it is. I probably don't. But I do know he's faithful. So I was talking to you about Matthew chapter 6, and I already went from the last one to the first one. So now I'm going to go back, okay. So this whole idea of understanding our role in Matthew, Matthew 16, verse 18, Peter says, you're the Christ, right? And he says, okay, upon that confession, I'm going to build my church, the word there is ecclesia, 
and the gates of Hades will not prevail against you. So what's the target of the ecclesia? Like practically speaking, what's the target? Like I understand the target in scripture is the gates of Hades. That's the target. Anything that opposes God, anything that opposes the will of God, I would, I would assume is a target of the ecclesia. So you're called, you're commissioned to be the ecclesia. So we don't go to church, we actually have an ecclesia gathering. You have a, you have a gathering of leaders. And all of you are world changers and you're all leaders. Look at your neighbor and say, it's true, you are. It's true, you are. You are. So how we, how, we, uh, how we address a congregation is, is moving away from the professional, addressing the non-professionals. We have to get back to the fivefold, which is apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and their function. That means that you're just as anointed as I am. Probably more so anointed. Let's just say, let's just use more general terms. You're just as anointed as the senior pastor, regardless of where you are. We have to believe that. That you can hear from God, that you can move in the spirit, you can lay hands on the sick, and they'll recovery, recover. You'll leave, you can lead people to Jesus. People can get saved, healed, and delivered. You don't need to have another, you know, evangelism explosion class that you, have to, you should go to. On and on and on it goes. You don't have to, do, have to be all those kinds of things. You can, you can rest assured that you have this, the anointing of the Holy Spirit resting on you, and you can do great exploits. You can. What does that do? That actually creates a shift. That means that the people that are actually in the chairs are just as responsible as the person who's preaching. And the people at Convergence are pretty wild anyway. That's why I love this house. Because the people at Convergence don't need to be prodded to do something. They're like, would you please let us do something? Like, we want to get... They're like, you guys are like that. Come on, you give yourself a hand. Thank you, Jesus, for that. So I came across an interesting book from our friend, um, Dr. Ed Silvelso, which is a good friend of ours. And the book is called Transformation. I recommend that you read it. But there was a thought that, that he introduced in Transformation, and um, he also introduced it again in, um, in the book, his uh, newest book, Ecclesia. <clears throat> and the, the thought is this. He says the, the focus of the, of, let's just use the word Ecclesia, of you and me, the target for Ecclesia, the practical application for Ecclesia is ending systemic poverty. Now, I just want to encourage you, I'm inviting you in, all right? So these are things I'm processing. So I, was, I took that to the Lord, and he defined systemic poverty. Systemic means ongoing. It's the system that creates the poverty. 
So when we talk about systemic poverty, we're just not talking about poverty in general. We're talking about the systems that provoke it. And so we have the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And we know that all darkness is, is the absence of light. So evil is the absence of good. Darkness is the absence of light. That's why we see in Scripture, over and over again, it talks about light coming. That's why Jesus says, you're the light of the world. In other words, he says, you're the salt of the earth. What does that mean? He says, you are the one who actually influences the culture and, the, and here's, the, here's, the, here's the idea that we must embrace, at least a question that we must ask, is that are we responsible ultimately for what darkness is actually in our culture? So what the enemy wants us to do is he wants, to go hide, he wants us to go hide somewhere. And we have, we have famous... We have famous... Uh, old choruses, old hymns, one of them was called Hold the Fort. Now, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Hold the Fort. Some of you are old enough to know Hold the Fort. I think, I think that's what it's called. Now, I wasn't raised in the church. But I remember that song, and that basically is just hide out until Jesus comes. Because when the trumpet sounds, glory to God. The Holy Spirit's going to go, and we're going to go with them. It's called pre-tribulation. Pre-tribulation. But what does, that, what does that do? It reduces his bride to a people who are barely sustaining and holding on to their salvation, and that's not what Jesus said in Matthew 16. That is so far off from what we see in the counsel of the word, it's, dare I say, ridiculous. Can we say amen? Amen. Matthew Matthew chapter, whatever, six, right? So here's the thing that that I've been thinking about for over, over a year, processing with the Lord. He breaks systemic poverty into four areas. Number one is material. That's, that's, uh, that's just not having your daily bread. Material poverty is lack. It's just lack. You just don't have enough for the next day. So that's why we have people who are, who are homeless because... They're, they're in a place of what I call material poverty. The second one, these aren't in any particular order. second one was motivational. In other words, not only, and it doesn't mean like one could be material and the other ones are fine, but they're all, I think they're all tied together somehow, some way, is motivational, and that's a sense of hopelessness. There's no motivation. They can barely get through the day. They have no dreams for tomorrow. They have no dreams for the next five years, three years. They don't have any dreams for the next year. They're just in survival mode. 
The next area of poverty is relational. Relational poverty has to do with what's in it for me. It's relational poverty is when you're not thinking about others, all you're thinking about is yourself. There's no room really for others unless it benefits you. If it benefits you, then you can make room for them in your life. But if they don't benefit you, then you'll just walk away. It's a poverty that, that reduces our lives to an inward reality of selfishness and away from serving other people. Serving our, serving. That's why we're so touched uh, when we talk about things like, okay, you guys know I'm a big Warrior fan. I love what they're doing right now. Praise Jesus. Okay, so that's all I'm going to say right there. But I, I was watching the game the other night, uh, and, you know, they have, a, they have a foundation. And they gave $10 million away. Maybe more than that. But they just used that money to bless. And there's something about using income to bless that touches people's hearts. And then the last one is spiritual poverty. And spiritual poverty has to do with an orphan heart. It's people who don't know Jesus, but more, but just as, just as important, I shouldn't say this is important, but alongside of that is people who know Jesus and they still live orphaned. Like they don't understand sonship, which is the book, what the book of Galatians really addresses. And so we have this systemic poverty in these four areas, material, which is lack, and the, the answer to that is provision. We have motivational, which is hopelessness, and we have to get people from hopelessness to hopefulness or a hope-filled life. Instead of a hopeless life, having a hope-filled life. And that's why in the body of Christ, we should be the most hopeful people. But what, I'm, what, I'm, what I've experienced over the last several years is that there's a drought of hope in the body of Christ. That's why messages on hope are so needed. Because for some reason, there's a, there's a, there's a lack of hope in the body for some reason. And so we, anyway, I don't want to, I can drift there, but I'm not going to. I'm telling myself, don't, 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 don't. The relational one is, is really, the answer to that is how can I serve others? It's, the answer to selfishness is generosity. So it's not just being generous with my income, it's being generous with my time. It's, 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 not, it's somehow getting past what's in it for me and stepping into how can I serve others, even though it's inconvenient. And then lastly, there's this whole idea of the orphan spirit, which is really based on performance. It's based on works. It's based on what can I do for God instead of Sonship, which is really not based on performance, it's based on grace. 
It's based on what he's done. So we stand not on my own merit. We stand based on, I stand not on my own merit. I stand based on what he did. And there's, like the old hymn says, his blood never loses its power. And so the systemic poverty, so I was talking to the Lord about this. And I'm like, wow, what's the answer to this? And I have to have something for me. I have to have something that's, number one, clear, and number two, simple. So our minds, just learned this this year, our minds fight for clarity, and our minds fight for simplicity. We don't like things that are unclear. We don't like to be confused. We'll walk away from confusion. But we do want, our minds are triggered to break things down to make it clear. So that's what I was talking to the Lord about. It's like, how do I make this? What is, bring me some simplicity and clarity around this whole idea of if this is truly the target of what the ecclesia is supposed to do, what does that look like? Are you guys with me so far? So he brought me to Matthew chapter 6. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. Verse, verses 9, verse 9 and on, you know, they're asking, how do we pray? And he says, this, is, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, where's the Father? In heaven. Hallowed, be, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be where? On earth as it is in. So what's the will of God? Kingdom come. That's the will of God, period. I know there's other areas of our lives where we're asking the Lord, but ultimately that's the ultimate will of God. His kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, that's a response to material poverty. So giving us this day, that means that the prayer is we don't want to be in lack Are you guys all right? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I mean, forgiveness is monstrous. (laughs) It's huge. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I know some of your translations say evil one. The ESV, I'm just going to use acronyms. I hope you know what they mean. These are Bible translations. The ESV, the NASB, the Amplified. I was going to say Amp, but that would be really weird. The Amplified in the King James Version don't have the word one next to it. The NIV and the New King James do have the word one next to it. So it says in some of your footnotes that the word one actually appeared in later manuscripts. So if you understand Bible translation, you'll get what I just said. So, so he starts off with our Father who, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name, and he ends 
by saying, deliver us from evil for thine. And other transcripts said, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, right? So some of them have, some manuscripts have and some manuscripts don't. Anyway, I don't want to get into all that right now. It's simply to say that, that this whole idea of evil is connected and the word there, deliver, means to free or to rescue. So Jesus is saying, this is how you should pray. Lead us not into temptation, but rescue us from evil. And I was like, you ever go like, I was like. I feel like I was 23 years old, I was like. But I, I was like, that's how I was, I was like. I remember, at that point, I remember, you know how the Holy Spirit will bring things back up that you studied? I remember um, Pastor Bill Johnson talking about this, this word evil. And he connected evil with poverty. So I said, Man, where was that, right? So I started digging around. I was looking at it, and I was like, yeah, it was, it was poverty, and there was some other things. And, and so, I, I don't know, you get on the Internet, you find it. Anyway, I found it somewhere. found it where he wrote it or something. He wrote it. It said poverty, sickness, and sin. So the root words to the word evil is poverty, sickness, and sin. Now, I'm not going to take anyone's word for it. You know me, right? I love my, I love Bill. I was going to say something about a, a family name. <laughs> love Bill. And I'm like, no, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to research this because I think the Lord's opening something up to me personally. So, I went down to the root of the root of the root of the root of the word evil. And I was looking at that, and I said, sure enough, the first one was poverty. So is poverty evil? Wow. Wow. So in other words, does the enemy want to put us in a place of poverty? So I'm not talking about poverty in the sense of somebody who can't seem to make it daily. I'm talking about, I'm applying poverty to material, motivational, relational, and spiritual. Because if the target of ecclesia is to actually bring provision, hope, you know, generosity, sonship, all those kinds of things. If, if that's our goal, then that's something worth at least exploring. So I did. Sure enough, the word, one of the root words for evil is poverty. So if I'm in a place of poverty, I'm not reigning in life. That's challenging. Because it's poverty, not just with my wallet, it's poverty in my relationships. It's poverty in my motivation. It's poverty spiritually. It's living orphaned. 
and disconnected. And it has to do with poverty. See, the Lord gives wealth to you so he can give, get wealth out of you. But if I'm, if I'm, if I, there's a poverty thing relationally with me, he'll bring wealth to me and I'll keep it. So remember, and we have Jim Baker coming in January. I want to make a quick plug on that. Guy's great. We fell in love with him. Me and Wendy had dinner with him. And it's on wealth building for world changers. That's what we're going to call it. But if he can get money to me, if he can get money through me, he'll get money to me. The other one is sickness. And we all, in this camp, we understand that. That sickness isn't from God. And, but the connection, the root word, the connection of sickness and evil are tied together like poverty. And then last is sin, which we can accept more freely in the sense of understanding it. Sin means to miss the mark. It, it means to live outside of the will of God. It's really living in a way that pleases myself and not the Lord. Those are the things that we're talking about. That's evil. So he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Rescue us. Free us. This is not Peter teaching the disciples to pray. This is about our Savior. I mean, there's weight on that. It's the only place in Scripture where he taught them anything, like formally. Taught them to pray. So I was thinking about that. Well, how do you defeat evil? That was my next question. You know how the Lord... I'll never get to my other points. I just want you to know. How do you defeat evil? How do you defeat evil? If that's the, if that's, how do you defeat evil? Then the verse in Romans chapter 12, 21 popped up. Popped up. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I stopped for a moment and I said, it cannot be that easy. <laughs> I did. I, I pushed, I don't even know, I think I pushed my chair, my hand on the desk and fell back on my chair a little bit. And I said, Lord, it can't be that easy. But there it is. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Is that our job, Lord? Is that the job, Ecclesia? Is that what we're supposed to do? This is a part of our functional identity. We love you as sons and daughters. We're connected there. But is that how we actually take care of systemic poverty? Is by, is by doing good. We have a nice conversation over here. So what's good? What is good? How do we measure good? What was good 50 years ago is not good today. So I can't measure it by the culture. Well, 
God is good. Let's start there. Good is God. God is good. But what does the word mean? Well, the word means moral excellence. Virtuous. So, number one, that's clear. And number two, that's simple. And that's good for me. So I started thinking about that, and I'm introducing that to you right now. Can you bring good to a culture? Can you bring goodness to the marketplace? Can you bring goodness to a home or to a neighbor? Oh, it's practical then. If it's clear and it's simple and it's practical, I am in. Because I can do that. So, I was intrigued by that. And so I went to Romans chapter 12, started doing some cross-referencing, right? <clears throat> Romans 12, 9, you can jot these down. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Galatians 6, 9. Wow, now it begins to make sense because if we're going to release the, the goodness of God in our culture, then we're actually bringing light into a dark place. And we don't have to keep shouting the name of Jesus. You know, sometimes we think that evangelism is all about shouting or declaring or preaching. And evangelism certainly is preaching the word of God but also preaching out of our lifestyle. Now, how do we define preaching? And preaching is good. We need preachers. It says in Romans that we do need that. But I'm telling you, for a large part of the body of Christ, it disqualifies them because they'll never stand up in front of somebody. But can they bring and represent the goodness of God? Yeah, they can do that. Why did Jesus say all you need to do is bring a cup of cold water in my name. So what we've done, we've made, we've made, we've made something, we've made something bigger than what it is. We've, 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 we've made like witnessing this when it's, it's this also. We've taken, we feel like we have to take this huge step in order to be something for God when it's more like, no, can you, get a co can you get a Coke for your coworker? Here's the connection. In my name. That's the connection. What are you talking about? In the New Testament, when you use a name, it carries the nature of the person. So when you say, in the name of Jesus, you're just not using words. You're bringing the presence and the nature of the Lord in the situation. It's supernatural. Are you guys with me? In conclusion, sort of. 
Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And is a conjunction. Junction, what's your function? <laughs> Hooking up words, phrases, and clauses. You know what I'm talking about? I still remember that old schoolhouse rock. I feel like oh, we should all sing it. That they are, that they may see your good deeds. Here's the conjunction, junction. And praise your Father in heaven. Good deeds and result giving praise to God. How are they giving praise to God? Through your good deeds done in his name. Is this how we're going to be systemic property? Is this how we're going to do it? Is it that simple? The attack in the garden with Adam and Eve, and I've addressed this, I think, last year, the frontal attack on Adam and Eve was to question God's goodness. Did God say? Because if he did, then he's withholding something from you. And if he's withholding something from you, then he's not really good. Is he? Apparently not. And Adam was right there the whole time. So that, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. If the attack in the garden was on the goodness of God, why wouldn't the, the enemy flipped it and he was introducing evil triumphing over good? First Peter chapter three, and I'll close with this. Are you guys all right? I know I've asked you like five times. I want you guys to at least be thinking. Get your thinking caps on. First Peter, first Peter, second Peter, first Peter chapter three. All right. <clears throat> Let me just set the context for you. Peter is writing to a group of believers who are being persecuted and tortured. Nero, who is the emperor, is on the loose. And Nero was blaming Christians for a fire he started. And he was taking believers. One of the stories, true stories, is that he would roll them in tar and he would light them on fire in his fields. So when you were looking, you could see a fire being lit in the field to keep the animals and all that away, but it's actually a believer being tortured and killed. So I want you to understand the context of what he's saying in his writing, and that kind of lays the foundation for what he's saying here in this uh, particular passage. I've got to make sure I'm on the right ones here. So... <clears throat> Finally, verse 8, 
All of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because of this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Oh, that verse is packed. For whoever would love his life and see good days, he must keep his tongue from evil, there's the word, and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The word bless, remember we hit this about a month and a half ago. The word bless means to anoint. The word actually means favor. And it means to turn the, it, it means, uh, to turn the face. So the blessings of God is when the face of God is pointed right at you. That's why it says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What does that mean? That means when we do evil, we're in that cult sinning, whatever it is, the face of the Lord, we want the face of the Lord on us. And when I bless somebody, I'm requesting the face of God to be turned toward that person. That's why I'm so frustrated with our political scene right now, especially with believers. They're cursing our president instead of blessing him, and they'll like put their hand on the pulpit or whatever and say, I will not. You don't have any right to say that. The Lord tells us. Oh, come on now. Verse 13. Who is, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? you got to understand what's happening in the cities. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. There's the introduction to suffering Righteousness is costly. Come on now. Yeah, two people. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously 
against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. This morning, this afternoon, is all about introducing you to a thought. And the thought is, how do we overcome evil with good? I'm telling you, I know it can get complicated like anything, but I'm telling you on the foundation level, we overcome evil with good. We just need to define what good is. And the definition starts with God because he is good. And it's the goodness of God that's released through a believer that impacts evil and evil carries with it poverty. So when we see somebody homeless and we actually go give them a meal, we're doing something good. When we sponsor something at Convergence. It's an outreach into our neighborhood. We're bringing good into our neighborhood. When you're at work and you're praying, you could be prayer walking. That's a good thing to prayer walk. But hear the voice of the Lord. You don't, need a, you don't even need a revelation. Just find something good to do for somebody. You don't have to shock this and shock that and try to figure out what God's saying. Just do something good. Does that make sense? I mean, be pleasant. If your server's late at lunch, don't give them the riot act. Why are you late? I can't believe it. I ordered my order 15, 20 minutes ago. Like, how do we display goodness in our culture? Because the word of God says that if we do something good in his name, it's powerful. <clears throat> so when we bless... Let me just reintroduce you to this thought. Favor, the word there is favor, to be anointed, to have God shine his face towards you. The root word there for bless is to request or to invoke. So when we bless somebody, we're requesting favor. We're requesting favor to, to us and to others. The trans, blessing is the transmission of God's goodness and favor in my life out to the lives of others. That's why it says in Romans 12, 14, this is where I have to stop. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. What are you saying, PG? What are you saying? What are you saying? I'm just introducing a thought to you. And that is, how do we beat and overcome this thing called systemic poverty, this, this system that's built, it's crippling our nation, crippling the nations of the world, and the Lord's answer to evil is good. Because God is good. 
So let's be hope-filled. Let's be people who are generous. See, this whole idea of, of, of money and all this kind of stuff, we, like, we don't understand the kingdom concept. I don't own anything. The Lord owns it. I steward. So our car was just paid off. We just made, made the last payment. So I caught myself yesterday because I, I, I came back from the vacation. There's the pink slip, right? Thank you, Jesus. It's like I paid off my car. And then I heard a voice saying, whose car is it? It wasn't the enemy. Ah, oh, that's your car, not my car. See, the bank had your car. <laughs> but it's his car, not my car. See? Oh, this is going to be so. Anyway, I, I, I didn't know how I was going to land the plane. I really didn't. And I, honestly, I still don't. But I, let's just start by standing. Let's just start by standing. <clears throat> That's always a sign for someone to go to the keyboard and all this kind of stuff. I'd... How hard is it for a believer to be good? Let me ask you a question. I'll be more direct. How hard is it for you as a believer to do good things? You see, we still struggle with material. We still struggle with lack. We still struggle with hopelessness. We still are, because we're, we live in such a consumer-driven culture, it's all about entitlement for some, and it's consumerism, it's what's in it for you, and you deserve this, and you deserve that, and it's, the kingdom is upside down. It's, it's inverted. It's... Jesus had the anointing without measure, but he was the servant of all. So how do you grow in the anointing? You serve more. What's serving more? Thinking of other people more than yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So I think that the challenge, the challenge for you is Really, really simple. Continue to be good and do good. And I'm not talking to you as little children. I'm talking about to you as God's kids. That we don't understand the power of goodness. And I want to challenge you to take what I said to the Lord. Because I do think we're on to something. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Really, Lord, is it that simple? I think it is. So how can you release the goodness of God to your children? 
to your spouse, to your grandchildren, to your co-workers, in the marketplace, in the school system, where you work. It's going to require a shift in our thinking, but I think the Holy Spirit's going to help us. All right, take the hand of the person next to you. Lord, we just want to commit this time. Lord, at least these thoughts. And we just come into agreement with heaven. We, 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 we don't want to be overcome by evil, but we want to overcome evil with good. And your word says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And here's, here it is, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. What's the harvest connected to? Doing good. I mean, I just see outreaches happening through you guys. I, you don't have to even get it on the church calendar. You're just blessing people. You're just being a blessing and you're blessing people. Lord, I think the revelation that I want to kind of pray into all of us is understanding the power of goodness when it's attached to the name of Jesus. So, Lord, we love all the social agencies, people who give, hand out food to people. We have, you know, all kinds of them. And there really are things that the, the church should be doing. We thank you for all the social programs, but Lord, we know that those, those are acts of goodness and they're, they're, they're displays of kindness, but they lack the name of Jesus. And Lord, this afternoon, we're connecting the name of Jesus to the acts of kindness. Lord, we want to be men and women of moral character and virtue. Lord, we want to live and be an example. And we want the goodness of God to come rolling out of our lives 24-7. In a world that's filled with so much poverty, I mean, spiritual poverty, yes, we see that, but there's relational poverty. There's people who are married, but they're not happily married. There's divorce rates and all kinds of things. There's shootings in Pittsburgh, like like stuff that's going on in our nation that's unacceptable. We have people who are filled with hate and anger. And if truly... Darkness is the absence of light, then where's the ecclesia on the scene? So, Lord God, we don't want to see a world go to hell. We want to see heaven come in. Do we care that much? Do we really care? Or are we just caring about our life? We're just caring about getting through, you know, the month. We just care about, that's all we care about. Or do we really care like you care? Can we make a difference? Is it just some religious thing that we do? It's got to mean something. More than just my personal salvation. It's got to mean something. 
So attach our heart to yours. How do you feel, Lord, about Pittsburgh? How do you feel about those 11 who died? How do you feel about that? Is it more than just what CNN is portraying or Fox News or our president standing up? Is it more than that? What is heaven feeling? I don't live in Pittsburgh, but I live in Fremont. I can bring goodness and kindness connected to the name of Jesus to a culture that's waiting, who are struggling we're the light of the world. We're the soul of the earth. And I want to empower you. I want to commission you. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. What you do makes a difference. And do not let the enemy tell you or you reason away somewhere that what I do or what I should do or what I can do won't make that much of a difference anyway. That's a lie. So find something to do. Take one step this week. One step. One step today. I dare you, just talk to Jesus about it. Just say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do based on the word of God that was preached this morning? What do you want me to do? What can I do? Really? If I release goodness, then I release light. And I release light, then I start, I'm the salt of the earth. And all this stuff begins to happen. That's true. It's very true. Read the word. So we choose to repay evil with blessing that we may inherit a blessing. Yeah. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We can do this. You can do this. Turn to someone next to you and say, we can do this. Just turn to someone, affirm, disaffirm someone next to you. We can do this. Well, we can do this. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening. Thank you.